When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California, subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates North Park, Illinois. This is the Sooner Sports Podcast. Your all-access pass to Sooner Sports. The Sooner Sports Podcast is presented by Allstate. Are you in good hands? And by Riverwind Resort. Riverwind Resort, the place to be. Oh, mama! What a play! Now, here's your host, Chris Plank. All right, welcome into the Sooner Sports Podcast. My name is Chris Plank. We call our Friday edition the tailgate, and we have a lot to get ready for this weekend, including... A sudden home game for the OU softball team as the weather was just miserable in Ames. And thankfully, the Iowa State Cyclones were able to travel to Norman. So we'll have two games on Sunday, a game on Monday. We have a huge baseball series to get ready for as OU travels to Fort Worth to take on TCU. Coming up later in the podcast, Brendan Flynn is going to join us, the SID for OU Baseball. And oh, by the way, we're just over... As This is the Friday before we get into spring game week. We're just a week away from the spring game. So let's talk OU's spring game and OU's spring practice with the Sooner beat rider for the Tulsa world, Eric Bailey. But as we kick off this edition of the tailgate, there is a huge match on campus this weekend as the OU men's tennis team takes on Baylor this Friday at 6 o'clock. We kick off the tailgate with OU men's tennis coach Nick Kroll as we get set for OU Baylor Friday night, 6 o'clock at the Headington Tennis Complex. But before looking ahead, Coach, let's look back. What a weekend for this team in Ithaca, squaring off against a very tough Cornell squad. Yeah, we, we knew that was going to be a big challenge for our team. We've got a young a young squad, and, and uh, you know, they beat us here last year on our home courts, and so we had a little – we had a little revenge on our mind, and we went up there two days early to Ithaca and tried to get used to the surroundings and, and the courts up there. So, 
you know, we put a lot of preparation into that match and, you know, it's been circled on my calendar for a while. So I was glad, I was glad to go up there and get a win. Final non-conference match. And from your perspective, I mean, I, I, again, I don't know coach how much you had the hand in the scheduling for this year, but was that strategic to have a challenge like that in a venue like that in an environment like that as your final non-conference match? Yeah, you know, I think Cornell's, they're always a good team, uh, very well coached. They've got a lot of good players. And, you know, I felt like, I felt like for us, it'd be a good test to, to kind of see where we were heading into the, heading into the Big 12 season and, you know, put it on, put it on the line. And I was really happy with, with how we did. I think we competed really hard and that was what I really wanted to see how would, how well we would face adversity. And there was a lot of, a lot of adversity up there. They had a big crowd and, you know, they were on us, but, but our guys stepped up and, and when it, when it counted, you know, we won a lot of big points. This team has been all about overcoming adversity this year, Coach, and it started in the very beginning when you lost one of your potential standouts in Spencer Papa. Mm-hmm. How do you how do yeah. you feel like this team has, has answered the challenge and all the questions they've had and really fought through some of the adversity they faced this year? Yeah, you know, this, this team's been amazing in that way. Um, very very young. Uh, I, think, I think that actually helps us in a way because – a lot of the guys don't know any better. And so, um, you know, they, they, were, they weren't used to having – they weren't used to playing with Spencer uh, on the team, so they didn't really know any different. I knew, I knew the difference, but, um, you know, when he went down in, in December, I think everyone was obviously um, very, very sad for him. You know, horrible, horrible injury. He's on his, on his way back, and we're excited to have him back next year. But, yeah, you know, we got in the locker room on the very first day in January, and you know, I said, this is, this is the last time we're going to talk about this. I said, let's get it all out now. And I said, you know, no, there's going to be no excuses this season. This is who we have in the locker room. And, you know, we got to go out there and do our jobs every day. And, you know, we've had some other guys go down with some injuries here and there. And, and, but everybody's really stepped up and, you know, really admire these guys, how they're, how they're doing. Such a young team now i know we have this old adage in the sports world where in college sports once you get towards the end of the season they're no longer freshmen Mm -hmm. or sophomores they're really experienced in juniors and seniors but take us through the progression of your youngsters because you really had to you had to thrust some guys into action this year didn't you yeah we did i mean we we basically uh they basically have nine new players on the team two of the guys came last january and and the other seven came this fall so um, it's, it's a very new team, new squad, learning to play with each other, you know, learning how to compete, learning how to practice together. And, you know, all that's really starting to come together um, as, we've, as we've moved through the season. Um, some guys have really been able to step up and, and elevate their games. And I think that's what we really talked about when Spencer went down was, you know, this is really an opportunity for guys to showcase what they can do and, and for guys to step up. And, you know, Alex Bakshi at number one has – has proven himself to be a, a, a formidable force at number one this year, taking out a lot of good players and, in fact, beat A&M's number one player who was, uh, you know, one of the top players in college tennis right now. So we're – guys like that have really stepped up. And some of our young freshmen, I mean, we're playing three three or four freshmen almost every night right now. So um, wow. these guys are doing a great job in learning. We're like learning on the fly. So I feel like every match we play, you know, win or lose – there's so much to learn from, and, and that's been the big difference between this year's team and last year's team was last year we had a lot of veterans, and, you know, win or lose, we'd come in the locker room, and these guys, these, those guys knew kind of what, what had happened. And today, you know, today with this group, we've got we to kind of explain a lot of things. And, but I think that's been good for us as a team, and it's brought us closer.
You mentioned Bakshi, and it had to be pretty unique for him whenever he went up against A&M because he had transferred from there. He was the he was one of the best in helping guide them to the SEC championship in seventeen. So, how mm-hmm. challenging or how unique was that for him to go up against his former teammates? And coach, how did he end up at Oklahoma? You know, that's a that's a good story. Um, you know, basically he he had a good career at, at Texas A and M. Um, he won some really big matches for them, including beating Georgia in the SEC final and helping them get that SEC crown last year. Um, you know, I think I think there were some differences eye to eye maybe with he and some of the co- coaches, and I think you know it was it was better for him to move on. And and I think our envi- environment that we have for him is, has really kind of been able to see him blossom a little bit more. Um, he gets in here, he works really hard for us, and really buying into our system and program. And I think it's kind of an attribute to him is that he's been able to come in as a junior and, and adapt and really, really turn into a, a, a leader for our team. Stefano had his first singles loss of the season, and I know he's young and I know he's just a sophomore, but how have you seen him respond in the last couple of days to, to getting ready for Baylor this weekend and trying to bounce back from his first bit of adversity in the season? Yeah, Stefano. Uh, he's actually a freshman, one of our one of our young freshmen this year. But uh, he had he faced a lot of adversity. He was out three months in the fall with a stress fracture. Um, oh, he had a couple couple nice wins in the fall, and then his season kind of got shut down in October. Um, so we didn't really get to see him that much in the fall. And then, you know, basically came back in January, maybe a little bit behind the eight ball, um, and had to get back in shape. And so his season has actually started a little later than most of the guys. I think his records three and one now but he's you know our our german player who is nine and zero on the year uh jochen birch against wichita state uh tore some ligaments in his in his ankle and and when that happened stefano was ready to go and and that's kind of what i'm talking about with other injuries and guys being able to step up so you know we're hoping to get birch back here for the big 12 season um and and then you know i think that just makes stefano even more hungry uh, when he gets his opportunities to get in there and, and show what he can do. How cool was it last week? And it may, maybe we're going back a week and a half or so, but to see Mason as a senior, as a walk-on, as an Oklahoma kid, get his first career win, Coach. I know that, you know, it's uh, there's no charity. there's no So he earned an opportunity, but how cool was that to see a guy who was given so much and as a walk-on go out and get that win? Mason's a great story. I mean, when I, when I got the job here uh, two summers ago, um, I had a lot of people emailing me, can I be on the team? Can I walk on the team? And, you know, I think they saw an opportunity with a new coach. And I must have had 10 or 12 emails from kids on campus. And that's pretty atypical for tennis. And you know, I, I basically said to all of them, look, show up on this one day. I'll watch all of you guys hit and I'll see, you know, see what we have on campus. And, you know, Mason kind of stood out and I said, this guy, this guy can play. And, uh, we had him come out and hit some with the team, and he was able to hang with some of our our guys uh, that were a little bit lower on the in the lineup. And I thought, man, if this guy can hang right now, see what he can do in a year from now. And you know, he was basically just on campus for two years, hadn't really played a lot of tennis. He was in a fraternity, but he was a great junior player, and just chose to go to Oklahoma um, for the academics um, instead of going to a smaller school and playing tennis. But then. You know, he's really taken advantage of his opportunity. So to get that first singles win, I know was really special for him. And, you know, we're, we're, we're really pleased on how he's progressed. And, and it's just a really good story. And he's actually, he's, he's basically our team captain this year, too. So our guys really respect him as a player and a person. 
What's clicked? You guys have been dominant with a doubles point, Nick. I know that sets a great tone for every match, but what's really clicked for this team? I think it's, what, five, six straight doubles points you've won? Yeah, I think we're I think we're 13-4 and four on the year in doubles. Um, we struggled a little bit in the middle. Um, we, we've had to mix up our combinations a little bit. Doubles is all about chemistry, and right now I think we're, we've got some good chemistry with our partners. Uh, all these guys can play tennis, but it's really finding the guys that mesh well together and, and work well together as a unit, and I think that's where we're clicking right now. Um, you know, I think we're doing some things tactically better uh, than we were early in the season. And, and you know, every day is, an, is a new day at practice for us in learning learning more about doubles and, and learning to play. So, yeah, I think we're progressing that way, but we know we're going to have to play even better here the next five five matches in the Big 12. I'll let you go on this. You mentioned final five matches, but a big one this weekend. You brought up the tough environment in a place like Ithaca. You've traveled all around the Big 12. Uh, we can create a solid home court environment, and Friday's a great opportunity to do so, isn't it? Yeah, we're, we're hoping for a huge crowd. Um, last year up in Baylor, uh, they had a nice crowd and, and really, really helped their team on. Uh, you know, we're, we're hoping our crowd can come out and really be loud, supportive, cheer on the guys. Uh, indoor, outdoor, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, we can, we want to fill the stands, and I think, I think we can do it. We've got a lot of promotions going on that night, so it could be a great, it'd be a great Friday evening for the for families to come out and, and just see a lot of great tennis and support the Sooners. A big weekend for the Sooners as they get set for the postseason. All right, speaking of postseason form, it seems like the OU baseball team is already there, and the postseason, well, heck, that seems miles away for football, but. We had a chance to catch up with OU beat writer for the Tulsa world, Eric Bailey, as we bring back our writer's block here on the Sooner Sports Podcast. Obviously, we have a lot of football to talk about, Eric, but you were in Tulsa on Tuesday night for the OU-ORU baseball game. The Sooners got the win 5-2, to two. so I'm curious, E.B., what really stood out to you? Because I really like Skip Johnson's team. You know, I was impressed with Kyle Tyler, how he came out there. Here's a guy who was a Sunday starter, uh, had a couple of rough outings, got I don't want to say demoted, but he got moved to a midweek position, and he's really excelled in his last two starts in the midweek and, you know, threw a good game on, on uh, Tuesday against ORU, uh, you know, six and a third innings with nine strikeouts. And then also Austin Hansen, he comes out, finishes the job, has five strikeouts, struck out the first four batters he faced. Uh, just impressed with this pitching uh, staff that, he, that Coach Johnson has. And uh Team got timely hits, had a big hit by Kyle Mendenhall to give him the lead. And then Tyler Murray was just inches from a, a three-run homer, but it ended up being an important two-run triple that really gave him some insurance runs in the ninth inning. It was a fun game. I really uh, – I, I, it's nice to see them win one of those Tuesday games, especially on the road and against a really good ORU team, big series this weekend for OU and TCU. Now, you mentioned Kyler Murray. I think we're starting to reach this point where everyone is beginning to marvel even more at what he's doing and how he's doing it. Eric, you have had chances to talk to him. I know that it's been talked about quite a bit with Lincoln Riley. It's clicking for him on the baseball side of things. What are you hearing on the football side of things? We hear open competition. We hear it's tight. But is uh, is baseball affecting Kyler at all when it comes to this competition? Does he seem like maybe he's falling behind a little bit? Because everything I hear seems to be the exact opposite. What's kind of the buzz you're hearing? No, I think he's really balanced both sports really well. And that's a credit to both coaching staffs, too, because – they had to orchestrate this thing, and Coach Johnson and Coach Riley, they've been a real complimentary 
about each other and the job that they've done in, in making this work. And the schedule has been kind. Oklahoma has been at home so much during the month of March. Uh, and also will be, you know, they go on the road this weekend, but then they'll be home again uh, during the spring game weekend. So I think that's helped Kyler out a lot, too, because he hadn't had to leave Norman. Uh, just impressed with, uh, with what he's been able to do in playing both sports. And yesterday we had a chance to talk to Coach Cooks, uh, and uh, someone asked him about Kyler, and, and he kind of laughed and said, you know, Kyler brings some speed that his defense just doesn't see on a routine basis, which is good for the defense because it allows them to prep more. But uh, Coach Cooks made me laugh because he just kind of smiled and shook his head and just impressed with what Tyler can do with the football. What about the balance that you have here between two what we think are contrasting styles? Because you got what can be a guy that will be a nightmare for RPOs but has a better than I think people realize arm in Kyler Murray. Evan Austin Kendall, who might be the more traditional quarterback, does it matter from a style perspective, or do you view Lincoln Riley as a guy that can adapt his offense to any style of quarterback, Eric? You know, I really think uh, Coach Riley can adapt. I mean, uh, you talk about Kyler and his speed. I mean, all we got to do is look back at that West Virginia game and the first play of the game when he broke off a 60-yard run right away, and you're just amazed how fast he is and how much, how fast, quick he can get to the corner. And, and, and his arm is really good. He's a good arm. He really is a good dual-threat quarterback. But then you look at Austin Kendall, and he, he is kind of almost the prototypical uh, Riley quarterback when you think about what Coach Riley had uh, back at East Carolina and Shane Carden, uh, a record setter back for the Pirates. Uh, and, and it really keeps – the offense is so key to Ruffin McNeil's attack at East Carolina, and, and Shane Carden ran that offense. And I, I kind of see Austin Kendall kind of a lot of similarities between those two. Uh, I, I think it's a competition just because both quarterbacks are so talented. Uh, they just both bring different – things to the table and, and that's what they're going to have to really evaluate during this spring period and in a competition that'll go into fall camp hey i dig this time of year because you hear about so many newcomers for instance uh you had dennis simmons gushing over a couple of his newcomers at receivers yesterday you heard some buzz building about jalen redmond whenever you guys had a chance to hear from tim kish uh they're going to count on a lot of these young guys this year, it appears, Eric. And I think the one guy that at least has caught my ear and eye more than anyone else is, is Jalen Redmond because we got to find someone to get after the quarterback for the Sooners, right? Yeah, and I think that's going to be key. And, you know, you look at a guy, you need someone that can really replace Ovo out there, can kind of pester quarterbacks. And uh, for everything I hear, he really fits the mold for what you need as an edge rusher. I mean, it's hard to believe, you know, he's a true freshman. You're asking a lot for him to come in, but – that's kind of what the talent that Oklahoma is bringing in lately with these recruiting classes. They're bringing in guys that can be impact players right away. Now, it's not going to be easy because you're learning a new system and you've got to adjust to the college game, but it, it's nice if you're an Oklahoma coach to start ahead of the curve than trying to get guys to catch up during fall camp. So it, it, really, it really helps a lot, and I'm uh, looking forward to seeing him play this season. We um... – we're excited about the spring game, obviously, and I think everyone wants to see the quarterbacks. But I'm really intrigued, E, to see the rotation of defensive backs because, let's face it, you're replacing a guy that was, I mean, come on, Stephen Parker was at least a part of the rotation for the better part of four years, right? Uh, so you got to find someone to replace Parker. You obviously have Will Johnson, who ended up having a great finish to his season. You've got, uh, and I don't know how healthy Jordan Parker is yet, but I love, love the battles that we have going on in the secondary right now, and that's one thing I'm looking forward to next Saturday. 
Yeah, and that, that's something that Coach Cooks, we talked to him about yesterday was the safety position. I mean, Khalil Houghton is a guy that has, you know, it, it, it's time for his, it's time for him to shine, time for him to come through. Uh, Robert Barnes, a uh, little nagging injury, but he's a guy that they're looking forward to. And one guy that we keep hearing about, and it's no surprise, is uh, Brendan Bradley Hiles. Uh, Buki has really made an impact. He, he came in as a quarterback, but he can play safety. And Coach Cook has just been, been really impressed with how he's picking things up so quickly. He's, he's a great learner of the game, and you pair that with his athleticism. Uh, you're looking at a kid that, as many expect, could make an immediate impact in 2018, and, and not only on the field but off the field. You know, everything I hear, he's a locker room guy. He's a guy that can really command attention and command respect, and, and guys will want to follow him. So I think this is, you know, more than anyone, this is probably the most important recruit that they've had in years, especially on the defensive side at Oklahoma. Um. Eric, you guys have been chronicling Steven's progress towards the NFL, and I know that you are with him in some of his workouts and at his pro day, and there's been some incredible coverage at TulsaWorld.com. Does he get the sense he could sneak into the seventh or sixth round, or do you think Steven might be looking more as an undrafted free agent right now? I think there's a good chance, and this is just my opinion, but I think there's a good chance he will get drafted. Uh, You look at he put up some decent numbers, you know, uh, he wasn't the worst at, at his position in his combine numbers when you compare him to uh, Stevens Pro Day, uh, you know, and he was among some of the best in some of the, the, the divisions too. So I really think that he's a guy that someone's going to take a chance on. When you look at him and, and how much playing he, they have a lot of film on him. Uh, they know his athletic ability. And, and I was talking to, I think, who was I talking to? I was talking to someone that was drafted earlier. Oh, Aaron Colvin. I was talking to him a couple weeks ago. And Aaron Colvin made a good point to me. He said, all you need to do is get drafted, get drafted, get a shot. It doesn't matter if you're first round, your seventh round. Once you get in training camp, that's when you prove what you can do. And that's all that I think Stephen Parker needs to do is get in training camp. Uh, even if it, it's undrafted, you look at Tony Jefferson, what he was able to do. He's a rich man now. Look at Jordan Evans, yeah. what he did last year. He, did, he didn't get a combine invite, but went to pro day, excelled, uh, did, did some good work on, uh, off season, on workouts, private workouts, and got and, – uh, Got a free agent, turned a free agent contract into a, 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 you know, he started a few games for the Bengals. So I think that's key for Steven, just to keep your head up, focus on what's in front of you. And, you know, in my, my opinion, like I said, I really think he's going to get drafted late. Eric, two more quick ones, and we'll let you run. What are you seeing rotationally on the offensive line? Or at least I don't know how much you guys have had an opportunity to talk to Coach Beanbow. But does it seem set that Bobby's going to move to the left side and that we'll see a competition at right tackle? And then, I mean, there's no given spots, but there's going to be a good battle at center, it looks like, too. You know, that's one good thing about Oklahoma is Bill Beatonville's really, he's got that position locked in. I mean, he knows what he wants to do. These are all his guys now. So he really feels comfortable with what they're doing. Uh, yeah, I think you do look at Bobby going to left. And then, you know, Drew Samia played some right. He may both be me. Excuse me. He may move over to right tackle, uh, you know, and at center. Uh, I'm intrigued by that center competition. Jonathan Alverson, Alvarez is a great kid. I've had a chance to talk to him a few times, and he redshirted last year just for this opportunity. So he's battling Creed Humphrey, who is another kid that we heard just amazing things about, kind of a senior versus a redshirt freshman, and uh, see what happens. So it's always good when you have competition. Uh, they're they're going to make each other better, and I think that's what's happening at the center position. I think Oklahoma is going to benefit from this competition, and whoever gets that job is, is going to be a quality person, a quality player. Excuse me. 
All right, final thought, Eric. Spring game Saturday, I know that you and I like to watch the X's and O's of it and watch the personnel that's in. But in the stands, have you set a number of expectation? I know that the uh, OU marketing department and I know that the powers that be have worked very hard to try to create a really cool environment, and they're doing some neat things with the concert and racing Marquise Brown and trying to kick a field goal for uh, essentially a scholarship. I mean, what, what's a number you think logically we could be looking at in the stands on Saturday? You know, uh, you know. first of all, I just have a lot of respect for what Oklahoma's trying to do. You, they, they have, they've, they're all in on this, and, and it's pretty impressive because they could easily just put, you know, we're going to play a football game, 1 o'clock Saturday, come, come watch us. But, no, they, they want this to be special, and this is Lincoln Riley's first spring game, too. So I think that that's why they're going all in, and all the recruits are going to be in town, so that's going to be important put on a good game day atmosphere for them. You know, last year they had about 45. I think I think they'll go over 50, maybe 55. I don't think 80 is quite in the cards. But, but you know what? There's nothing wrong with 50, 55,000 fans, uh, the most that they've had in years. So uh, that, that's kind of where I'm looking at, somewhere between the 50 and 55 mark. If they hit 60, I think it's a, it's a win. And anything above that's just, uh, just cake. Yeah, and you know what? I, I love the creativity of Lincoln Riley, too. Right? I mean, you and I were talking, how great has this guy been to deal with? Uh, he just he, he has a whole new level of thinking, a whole new level of creativity, Eric. It's really neat to see what he's kind of helped spearhead here. Yeah, and that's what you, know, that's what you get with a 34-year-old coach. Uh, you get someone who, who just is 34, 35, young. I can't remember how old he is. But that's something you get with him. You get that energy. You get that enthusiasm, and uh, he's having fun. He's out there kicking field goals and challenging students to kick field goals with him or, you know, match his field goal. And, and you get a guy who's looking for new ways to improve things. And, and you know, let's not take anything away from what Coach Stoops did because, you know, nope. what, he, he, he was, he's a legend at Oklahoma, and there's a reason they're putting a statue up of him on, you know, on, on, uh, during the Saturday of the spring game. But Lincoln Riley, he, I've just been so impressed with what he's brought to this program. And this is just year one. It makes you wonder what's going to happen on the horizon. Yeah, good stuff from Eric. I'm excited. You know, I, I'm a hopeless optimist. I'm eternally hopeful. I'm glass half full kind of a guy. I think we can get 80,000 there. I truly believe it. And it's going to be a beautiful weather day. Temperatures are going to be in the mid-60s. The rain is minimal. Rain is not an excuse. Weather is not an excuse. Can't wait till the spring game next Saturday. OU looking to really pack the place for what's going to be a fun day of football and Sooner sports because right after the scrimmage, right after the spring game, you've got OU Kansas softball. Then that night, you have OU Texas baseball. Wanted to get a little bit more perspective on the OU baseball team, so we asked Brandon Flynn to join us, the Sooner SID, part-time play-by-play guy for OU baseball, to kind of give us a little perspective on exactly what stood out with this Skip Johnson squad. I think it's the pitching right off the bat, and that's to be expected with uh, Skip Johnson at the helm. You know, he's developed these guys for the better part of two years now, um, and he's got them rolling. Jake Irvin's been lights out. Devin Perez, you know, he couldn't get through the fifth this week, but, uh, you know, he, he probably could have if Skip wanted to leave him out there, but he chose to, you know, turn it over to his bullpen uh, because we had a lead, and you know, the bullpen's been awesome. And Nathan Wiles is figuring out that Sunday role for the Sooners, which is huge because that's where OU was struggling for, for a couple weeks in, in March. And now I think they've got those three guys figured out. And the bullpen is just lights out. 
they uh, it was unclear what the roles were going to be coming into the year. You know, everybody knew Connor Barry had a fantastic season last year, but what did he really have the makeup to be a closer? And he's come in. He's got five saves this year. He's been fantastic. The lefties, Braden Fink, has not given up a run this year. Levi Prater, freshman lefty. Stud. Uh, I mean, absolutely. He's holding opponents to an 067 average. He's faced 75 guys and given up four hits so far this season. I mean, wow. it's hard to believe that this was a question mark on uh, this team coming into the year. You know, you knew that Irvin and Perez were going to be at the top of the rotation, but who was going to finish games? And, I mean, they've just been incredible. Austin Hansen has kind of settled into a role as a setup guy. He's pitched even in the ninth a couple times so far this year. It's been really good to see. I mean, all these guys, you, you trust them, each and every one of them that skips rolling out there from the seventh on, sometimes even the sixth inning on. Flinny, I am uh, I'm glad you mentioned Levi Prater because I'm a huge fan of his his attitude on the mound. And there are certain guys that when they come out of the pen, they got to have a little bit of nasty. they got to have a – and it's not it's not anything derogatory or negative, but he's just a confident guy, and when he gets you out, he's got a little attitude about him. I dig him. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of like there's an unwritten rule in baseball, you know, that you, you can't show too much emotion, you know, sometimes, and you need to be reserved. Well, this kid doesn't pay attention to those rules. He'll punch you out. He'll stare down your dugout. He shushed uh, a West Virginia dugout opening weekend of Big 12 conference play. He'll put, uh, you know, he'll double fist pump on his way to the dugout after a big strikeout stranding a guy at third. So he leaves it all out there, man. And Skip tells you that he pitches with his heart, and it's it's very evident when you watch him play. I dig it. Uh, so this midweek starter has been somewhat of a challenge, but Kyle Tyler pitched well in the last game that I did. That, of course, was against Texas Southern a little bit of a different mindset. So with that battle going on for the Tuesday, if it's a Wednesday game starter, do you feel like things are settled with who's going to be the Sunday guy in this rotation? I do. I think Nathan Wiles has uh, pitched well in that role. And with the innings you get out of Irvin and Perez, typically, you know, if Nathan Wiles can get you through five, six on a great day, you know, then you can leave it up to your bullpen to try and finish off the series. You know, he puts you in a good position to win a series, and as it's been the last two weeks, to sweep a series, actually. So, um, you know, they had Kyle Tyler in that role, and he he struggled a little bit. It was a role he served in most of his sophomore season a year ago as well. But he'll he'll get the start at Oral Roberts tonight, and I think he's starting to look a little more comfortable. Like you said, he pitched well against Texas Southern, struck out uh, 10 guys that game. But he's gotten two opportunities in relief of late, which he's been excellent, only given up one hit and walked one guy to seven strikeouts in uh, that brief time out of the bullpen, which is not really something he's too familiar with. You know, He had a couple relief outings as a freshman, you know, sparingly made a couple spot starts that year as well. But he's really kind of just a – he's got a starter's arm, you know, where he can he, – he's going to throw 90-92 whether he's – pitching in the first inning and needs to throw 60 to 70 pitches on the day or if he's coming in to just throw some middle relief you know he's he's his bullets are going to be coming out the at the same velocity um but 
you know, he's pitched well, and I think uh, everybody's been encouraged with the uh, way he's handled the adjustment in his role and how he's uh, come out and performed the last couple times he's been called on. I brought this up with Toby on the podcast. I, it's it's amazing to see the – I don't know if the term would be transformation, Flinny, so if that's not a fair word, how about the development, the progression of Cade Harris? Because here's a guy who – uh, he's become an everyday guy, and he had, he's been an everyday guy, and he's he's making plays, he's hitting the ball well. He's kind of one of the cornerstones of this team now. Yeah, and he was he was a real unsung uh, guy the last two years. He just kind of went about his business, got plugged in when the when the, the team needed him, and he did his job. You know, was humble and waited for his opportunity, and you know they he tried third base and. You know, it got to be a little too much to handle, and I think it you know, distracted him from his uh, his hitting responsibilities. And then last year he moves to the outfield, which come to find out he's got a terrific arm in the outfield. He took to it right away, knows how to track balls. He can play both left and right field. And now he's hitting at the top of the order, which is where he finished last season. The guy, if he doesn't get on base, it's still a quality at bat. You know, he's seeing a lot of pitches for the guys behind him. Zaragoza and Walker are, you know, they're able to sit in the on-deck circle or at the edge of the dugout and do their homework on the pitcher, especially in that first inning when Cade's going to get up there and probably work a seven-pitch at bat right off the bat. And, uh, you know, more often than not, it feels like he gets on base, and he's got an on-base percentage of about 460 right now. So, you know, a little less than half the time he's getting on base, but that's still an incredible amount. And He's got a terrific eye at the plate. And he's developing as a hitter now. So when he takes the bat off the shoulder and swings, you know he's he's putting him into the gap. He's loading up on doubles this year. He's getting extra bases everywhere he can. He's got five steals now on the season, kind of quietly, uh, five for five on the base pass. Him and Kyler Murray both uh, producing uh, in that uh, statistical category. But it's been good to see. He's been uh, he's been a producer up at the top, which is all you can ask for. You know. Uh, a final thought before I let you go, and Brendan Flynn's our guest as we get set for the Sooner Showdown tonight. You'll hear it right here on the home of Sooner fans, Sports Talk 99.3 FM with a 6 o'clock, six o'clock pregame, 6.30 first pitch. It was interesting because, you know, you go through the first uh, eight or nine games, there was a couple of games where you see Cade Cavalli at third, and now, I mean, Bradley Ware has just taken over and has really found another level. But it still seems as if, you know, maybe there is a good rotation going at first base with Cavalli, and then when he throws, you see Hardman. Hardman continues to develop as well, too. I guess maybe my question is, what was unsettled through maybe the first two weeks of the season has really settled in nicely with this infield and its rotation, even behind the plate with what Brady Lindsley's done over the last nine or ten games that he started. Well, what Skip has wanted from the beginning was to have a set lineup. You know, he wanted one through nine to be the same as often as possible. And, you know, he really had a rotation, particularly between catcher and first, as you alluded to. And first is kind of being solidified. They're, they're really giving Cavalli the reps there. He's had his struggles, but he's getting better, and it's noticeable. Hardman is good at that at first as well to um, fill in if, if Cade gets back on the mound anytime soon. But the surprise for me has been how well Brady Lindsley has solidified that catcher position because, you know, they've got three quality guys. I mean, they've had four guys, four catchers on the roster, three have started. All four have played in some form or fashion this season. But Brady, he's the lefty of the bunch. He kind of 
he kind of has that advantage coming in on paper, and uh, he's delivered. He's been a fantastic hitter. He was just as good a hitter a year ago, but he was stuck behind Renee Martinez, who was you know, hitting everything that was thrown uh, anywhere near the plate last season, so he couldn't uh, crack the lineup come Big 12 play. But Brady's been awesome. He's uh, showing off. He's got a good arm. He, he's a good blocker, receiver behind the plate for the guys. I think the pitching staff's been really comfortable with him. And the other position that you mentioned that was kind of up in the air was third uh, between Briley Ware, Kate Cavalli, and Tyler Hardman. We're all going to get opportunities there. And Briley's been better than I would have ever imagined. You know, he played a couple games there last year, played a little first when Austin O'Brien got hurt last year, but primarily was the DH. And now this year he's, He's played probably the best third base he's ever played in his life, if I had to guess. OU Baseball in Fort Worth for a monster showdown with TCU. Here's what the schedule looks like for the weekend. The Sooners will play tonight at 6.30. Then tomorrow night at 7 and Sunday at 3 p.m. You can watch the Saturday game on ESPNU, but I highly suggest cranking down the TV audio and cranking up the Sooner Radio Network to listen to T-Row on the call. Meanwhile, I thought I thought this edition of the podcast was going to be live from Ames, but due to horrific weather in the Ames area and the state of Iowa and across most of the north, we are in Norman this weekend. A little battle with the medieval fair for parking, but it's always a blast to be in town when that's going on. It's OU and Iowa State in Norman. Doubleheader on Saturday, one game on Sunday. You can get your tickets online right now at Soonersports.com. Remember, the other nine games that were left on the schedule pretty much sold out. In fact, I think they're all sold out. So this will be your last chance to purchase a ticket and see the Sooners in person this Sunday with two games. And then Monday, that rare weekday game for OU in a Big 12 showdown. Well, everyone have a great weekend. Next week, obviously some softball to talk about, a lot of baseball to get into, but we will truly go in-depth on the OU spring game. I'm going to bug Dusty Dvorak to join us. Teddy Lehman's going to come on with us. We'll talk with Cootie. We'll talk with uh, Toby. And maybe even Coach Riley will swing by the Sooner Sports Podcast. Until then, have a great weekend. And until Tuesday morning, Boomer Sooner, everybody. This has been the Sooner Sports Podcast. Make sure to get all the latest episodes online right now at Soonersports.tv slash podcast. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at OU on the air. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.